You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1172 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday to recap what became a very, very impressive win for the Hawks at home against the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix have been red hot, the best team in the league, and the Hawks escape with a 124-115 to victory. They're now 8-1 in their last nine games, and they've won the last eight in a row with Trey Young in the lineup. The Hawks were really winning this game throughout. They won every quarter until the fourth. It was break-even in the fourth quarter as well. They scored 100 points for three quarters. Trey Young was fantastic in the third. It got a little bit dicey down the stretch, as we'll get into later on in the podcast. But for the most part, a am uh, not, I'm not going to say comfortable win for the Hawks, but certainly one where they were in control for the vast majority of the evening, and they played very well on offense, well enough, we'll say, on defense in this spot. And uh, we'll dive into everything from this game now. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard to the podcast. Please subscribe to the show. What we'll do on this show is break down everything from the game um, in terms of the game flow, some takeaways from both sides of the floor, player observations, etc. And then we'll look ahead to the future at the very, very end of the podcast. But again, thank you as always for joining us. And we'll dive in now to the pregame context in this spot. As I mentioned before, the Phoenix Suns had the best record in the league this season. They actually won 11 straight before they arrived in Atlanta. And they have the best road record in the NBA as well. And the Hawks lost in Phoenix narrowly back in November. A winnable game for Atlanta, but they were not able to steal that one in Phoenix. Um, injury-wise, all eyes were on Trey Young throughout the day. Um, of course, he missed the game on Monday with the right shoulder contusion. Um, that was sort of a late scratch in that game. And uh, Nate McMillan said, I think, three or four different times that he would be a game-time decision in this game. No surprise there. The Hawks love their game-time decisions this year. But Trey ended up doing his full warm-up, full warm obviously, Played and played quite well. Early on, he kind of looked shaky, but he got established later on and played fantastically in this game. Lou Williams, though, was absent. He was the one uh, absence that was uh, notable for Atlanta with low back spasms. He was actually added as just straight out on Thursday afternoon, so no other update beyond that. DeAndre Hunter was listed as probable, ended up playing for the Hawks. Phoenix was not quite at full strength. Campaign was out, and Landry Shamit, two rotation guards for the Suns, but still their best players were available. Um, the Hawks actually were underdogs, according to our friends at Bet Online in this game. It was actually five and a half points by Phoenix in the uh, early portion of the day. It went down to four once the uh, sort of things just settled. And then once Trey was in, the Hawks closed as three-point underdogs in the market, which is not a huge surprise given that the Suns had the best record in the league coming into the day. But I was a little bit frustrated with the framing because the Hawks were kind of being talked about after the game. It was a national TV game. I, I get all that um, about how they were kind of huge. This was a huge upset for Atlanta and all this stuff. Uh, they were 3 point dogs. Not, not a huge spread, and the Hawks are, of course, better than the record this year. Anyway, we'll get into that later on. But um, this is a game that the Hawks were not, quote-unquote, supposed to win, but certainly one that was winnable, as we discussed on yesterday's podcast coming in. But uh, a nice performance from the Hawks overall, and we'll get into uh, what actually transpired now. So kind of a sloppy start for Atlanta. They were down 8-2. to two. At the outset, Trey turned them all over twice in the first four, four possessions. Some rust there. I thought he was actually favoring the shoulder a little bit um, on defense and not trying to have a ton of contact. Uh, even with his huge performance in this spot, it was, it was a lot of jump shots from Trey, a lot of mid-rangers and floaters, stuff like that. I'm not saying that he was still injured, but even after the game, he kind of said he's not 100% still. No surprise there. But um, it looked like he was actually going to be stumbling a little bit out of the gate, but obviously that rectified itself pretty quickly. Um they actually almost had a shot clock violation in the early going, had a bunch of like contested jump shots that the Hawks did as a, as a team early on. But once they found their groove, they kind of stayed in it for most of the night. 
a 15-4 run to get, take their first lead of the, of the game mid-quarter. Had a bunch of threes in that stretch. Trey had 10 of the 15 points in that 15-4 run. He was cooking, obviously. Had a, had a lob to Capella for a dunk along the way. Uh, rotationally, it was nine guys, which is kind of what I thought was going to happen. In fact, I tweeted this out before we knew uh, that Trey was going to play. But I was basically saying, look, if Trey's out, then they have to get a little bit creative. Maybe maybe Scholar Mays, whatever. But if Trey plays, as he did in this game, I thought it was going to be the same rotation that it was on, on Monday. And it was, basically. Except for Trey in place of Lou and playing a lot more minutes. But it was the same nine guys. Um, they brought in Bogdanovich first, then Gallinari for Capella, as usual, um, as they go small at more. Actually, they went small a lot more in this game than they have recently, which we'll, get, which we'll come back to. They brought in DeLon Wright and Okongwu late in the first quarter, and then they kind of used Herder as the bridge piece from first unit to second unit, as they have in the past. Um, there was a, kind of a couple of funny defensive breakdowns. Like, they got Gallinari switched on to Booker a few times, and that's not going to work for Gallo defensively. And throughout the game, as we will definitely dive into defensively, it was not perfect from the Hawks in this game, but the offense was really good throughout. 32 points in the first quarter. They scored very well, about 1.3 points per possession in the first period. That's obviously excellent. Uh, 58% from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3. They did not really stop the Suns, um, really, until the latter stages of this game, but it was not really the biggest issue in the world because they were able to score continuously throughout the contest. In the second quarter, uh, more of the bench, but Kongu got some... Uh, Got some foul trouble. He had two, had two fouls early in the second quarter, and honestly, not his best game. Uh, a weird matchup for Kongwu for sure against a couple of big guys and and Aiton and Javale McGee, but it was not his finest hour overall. Also, kind of holding his hand at one point after he fouled McGee. I'm not sure if there was a, a lingering injury there for Kongwu, but something to keep an eye on. Um, the Suns took the lead briefly in the early portion of the second quarter, and the Hawks had their second 15 to four run of the game to go up by eight. Uh, the big story in the second quarter was the play of Kevin Herter, who made four threes in less than four minutes. Uh, alongside Gallinari, all 15 points were on five threes for the Hawks, four for Herter and one for Gallo. Um, the Stars came back in about midway through the period, and the Hawks had 10 threes in the first half with like five minutes to go. They were very, very hot in the first half of this game. They've only had seven halves all season. That's first or second halves with at least 10 threes. And they had, again, in about 19 minutes in the first half of this game. Now that, at that point, the Hawks were 10 of 16 from three. Phoenix was three of three of 12, and that was kind of the margin throughout the game, honestly. They led by as many as nine. And then actually, almost by 10, I believe it was, was by the end of the first half of this game. But um, Booker... Um, kind of hilariously, I, I don't think he was great, nor was he terrible in this game for Phoenix, but he got he actually wanted a goaltending call on Capella, uh, ended up kind of arguing with the, with the official not getting back on defense, and then Trey kind of waltzed to the rim for a layup to force a timeout by Phoenix, and they didn't score the Suns for about three minutes. They had six consecutive possessions where they didn't score. That's uh, definitely a rarity for the Suns team, um, but they had their a nice close, the Suns did, a 9-2 run in the final minute of the first half, and it was kind of on brand for the Hawks. They've had some trouble closing halves, uh, even when they've been winning recently, and that was kind of the case here. They went from up by 10 to up by 3 at the break. There was a beautiful dribble drive from Trey Young to find John Collins for a dunk, but that was the only points in the last minute for the Hawks and um, some shaky stuff down the stretch of the uh, first half. But still, I want to stress a very, very impressive half on offense for both teams. Quite honestly, the Hawks were leading, uh, but it was a beautiful brand of basketball for like the first three quarters of this game. The fourth quarter was something different. It was much more of a sloppy slugfest kind of feel. But honestly, just as, as an objective NBA observer taking a step back, and this is again, it's a TNT game, so everybody's watching, and this is kind of the consensus as well. You know, the offensive firepower on these two teams in the first three quarters was pretty darn impressive. That was definitely the case in the first half. The Hawks had a 125 offensive rating. They hit 11 threes in the opening in the opening half. That's obviously a little bit high to be sustained, but some. some Good looks for sure, process-wise for the Hawks. 15 assists as well. 
Um, offensive rebounding was not a strength this game, which we'll come back to. But the only issue on offense for the first half was turnovers. They had eight. That's well more than they would average. About They average about six per half. And you know, eight's not going to kill you, but still more than you would want offensively. On defense, it was not pretty. They allowed five of nine on corner threes, and that's just too many attempts to allow to a good Phoenix team. Fortunately, the Suns were missing their non-corner threes throughout this game, but they had 18 assists in the first half, and the Hawks had some issues to clean up defensively. They were better after halftime on defense, which is what led to them winning this game. But if you want to kind of at least circle something to work on from the Hawks in this game, it was definitely the defensive end of the floor. They were awesome on offense, and we'll get into all of that as we get through this podcast. With that said, though, we'll get to a break before we dive into the second half of the show and, of course, the second half of the game. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before as football continues its march to the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has ultimate info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, auto racing, and much more in addition to live real-time updates of current games. Do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer and everything that's going on at BetOnline.net this season in 2022. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and the early portion of the third quarter was not the finest hour for the Hawks. In fact, it was probably their most dire situation until the closing minutes of the game. DeAndre Hunter got his fourth foul within the first minute of the third, and he had to leave the game as a result of that. Mate McMillan was going to auto-bench him for a long time, as he often does. They brought in Bogdanovich, but they, uh, they don't love to tweak the rotation too, too much, so that was kind of uh, throwing things off of the rails a little bit. But for the most part, um, the biggest downturn in the entire game for Atlanta was the end of the first half and the beginning of the third quarter. So as I referenced before the break, the Hawks were up by 10 with like a minute, minute and a half to go in the first half. And from there until the beginning of the second half, it was a 16-4 run by Phoenix to close the first half, to go up in the second half, and to take the lead. So the Hawks went from up 10 to down by 2. Now, fortunately, they didn't wallow in that. Um, actually, Collins kind of lost his mind after a no-call in this game. He definitely got fouled, and after seeing the replay, he was kind of surprised that he wasn't gonna get, actually going to get a technical foul in that, in that spot. But um, other than that, they kind of settled in a little bit. They didn't get too flustered, which has been a hallmark of this team uh, when they're going well. It's kind of not getting flustered and not getting beaten down by that. And then after that run by Phoenix, the Hawks scored 8 points on the next three possessions, um, getting it back up to eight again after the fifth three of the night by Kevin Herter. Um, they caught a break, I thought, and uh, I kind of circled this play in my mind, um, both in real time and especially after the fact. Mikhail Bridges missed two wide open threes on the same possession. It was miss, offensive rebound, kick out, miss, and that would have cut the lead, I believe, to two at that point, and that was kind of a big momentum swing because the Hawks went down and scored. And uh, that was, uh, I thought, in my mind, a pretty big one in real time. Uh, rotationally, other than having to go to Bogdanovich early, that was kind of the same thing they did in the, in the first half, at least in the third quarter. They brought in Gallinari and DeLon a little bit later than usual. They rode with Trey Young the entire third quarter because of the bonus that they were actually gotten into, which we'll come back, in this, come back to in a second. And Conway didn't play a ton. Uh, he came in pretty late and then didn't uh, didn't stay in for as long as usual. They also got the bonus pretty early uh, overall, and they left Trey in, I think, to take advantage of that, and it ended up working out very, very well. In fact, Trey had 12 points in the final 240 of the third quarter, and he had 18 points in the quarter alone. He was masterful, and the biggest reason why the Hawks were in control. They scored 36 points in the period, so Trey had half of those on his own, and that huge closing kick was, uh, was massive for Atlanta. They actually led by nine and had 100 points through three quarters, and I want to say this, uh, I'll probably say it again one more time later, but the Hawks, at the end of the third quarter, when they had 100 points, had 18 threes in three quarters. They were 18 of 33 
from three. Um, the franchise record is 23, so they were actually on pace to break it. They didn't obviously do that. Uh, we'll, talk, talk, we'll talk about that earlier in the podcast, but uh, certainly something to monitor just how hot the Hawks were from three throughout, and Phoenix was not so hot, which ended up being a, a big swing towards Atlanta. The early part of the fourth quarter actually was pretty ugly on both sides. I don't say that in terms of it being bad for the Hawks, though. It was actually probably pretty good for the Hawks, but the quality of play and the sloppiness, uh, you know, it was kind of a mess, let's just say. The Hawks did lead by 14, though, early in the fourth quarter because Phoenix could not score. They had one point in almost four minutes. Uh, It was kind of a slop fest, we'll say. Uh, Hunter came back in for the Hawks with about 10 minutes to go after sitting for 14 minutes, and then he got his fifth foul almost right away inside a game. So that was kind of a sloppy uh, stop-start for Hunter. They brought the Stars back in with like seven and a half minutes to go, up by 12. But Phoenix started to plug away. Um, They had a 7-0 run to get the lead down to 7, and the Hawks didn't score for like three minutes. That was a little bit of uh, uneasiness there. Um, Trey Young hit the first of a couple of uh, huge, you know, stop the bleeding kind of shots. It was a circus finish plus the foul. Actually, missed missed, missed the free throw. That was a big bucket when the Hawks had uh, nothing going, when they were only up by seven again. And then Phoenix got it to seven two more times. The Hawks kept scoring when that when that happened. They got up to 11 when they beat a trap and then got Collins an easy dunk with about four minutes to go. That prompted a timeout by the Suns. Um, I didn't love the Hawks closing with Gallinari and Collins together. Obviously, Collins, which we'll come back to in a second, got, got hurt and had to leave the game. But even before that, they were playing without a center with the lead. I didn't love that. You know, Gallinari didn't really have a great game. It wasn't a great matchup for him either. The counterpoint would be, of course, that Phoenix was playing very small. DeAndre Ayton didn't play much for Phoenix in the second half of this game, which is notable because he was not in foul trouble or anything, just kind of a, a matchup thing, I think, for the Suns. But um, that kind of gave the cover for McMillan to play smaller, but I might have gone to a Kongwu. They wanted to at least stay more mobile. Uh, I thought Capella was actually better than a Kongwu in the game, but obviously matchup-wise, you don't want Capella out there if he's got a guard, you know, Jay Crowder or anything like that. But it is one of those weird things. But I didn't love going to Gallo, and, uh, you know, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, the big thing, other than the Hawks getting uh, – a comfortable lead was Collins leaving the game. So I'm going to circle this now. Obviously, this is a uh, it's an audio podcast, but Collins with 149 to go had to pull himself, pull himself out of the game, and he was uh, visibly injured. His arm was kind of just like hanging there. Um, I'm going to play some audio for you actually um, in a moment that will explain uh, what he was thinking at, at the end of that, and also during and post. But basically, he's badly favoring the shoulder. He came back to the bench before the end of the game. I thought it was a, probably a positive sign because he went right to the locker room like immediately. And uh, McMillan said um, that he was actually being checked out after the game. They thought it was going to be his shoulder. And I'll play for the audio now, audio for you now from Collins because um, we don't know anything as of this recording in terms of specifics. Now, it's not really any statements or anything like that. But here is uh, the audio from Collins on how he is feeling post-game. And also, I'll say that it was notable that he even talked. But first you heard the voice of Bob Rathbun, who because the Hawks were not on Bally Sports Southeast tonight, he was actually able to be in the press conference. So you hear Bob's voice asking John what transpired. And then you hear Collins sort of explain uh, what went through his mind and kind of the fallout from that. What in the world happened? Uh, you know, last game I... Uh... I can't remember the uh, – I recalled the play, but had a little bit of shoulder trouble, a little just, you know, a little bit of pain in the shoulder. And um, today, I don't know if you watched the play. I don't know who it was, but arm got caught. Um, and somebody yanked, yanked my arm down a little bit, and the same feeling came back a little bit. So um, feels a lot better now. Um, wanted to come back on the court, but, you know, definitely a little bit, you know, uh, nerving to just go out there and – uh, not understand or, you know, know what's happening. But, you know, I feel better now. We're, you know, we're on it. We try to fix it, make sure I'm ready to go. feel like I'm playing tomorrow. So um, all's well. But, you know, obviously something we got to monitor and make sure it gets better for sure. 
you were struggling because you were kind of grabbing your legs. Yeah, you know, it was it was that excruciating the pain that I, I feel like I couldn't in that moment I couldn't stand up. Oh, wow. you know what I mean? It was that like that is that bad. I really wanted to to drop to my hand, um, but you know, <laughs> during the middle of the play, so I was trying to you know respect the game as much as I could, stay on my feet. Um, but no, yeah, I really wanted to drop to the floor. So a few things here before we get back into the game itself, but obviously this is a huge thing beyond today if Collins has any kind of injury. Uh, I think it is unequivocally a positive that he was, A, able to return to the bench, B, able and the Hawks let him speak to the media after the game. But it does not mean in my mind this is totally an all-clear. He seems to be pretty upbeat there. Collins is obviously a charismatic guy. You'll hear that on the audio. But um, I'm sure they will have done some more testing on him, maybe an MRI, something like that, in the next uh, hours, we'll say. Um, again, nothing as I'm, re- as I'm recording this about midnight. There's been no official announcement like that. And the Hawks play again on Friday, so they have to list him as something by the middle of Friday for the game in Toronto. But I will say it does not absolve anything. I do feel better now than I did when he left the floor. It did not look good with what he was holding the shoulder slash arm, etc. So we'll see. But this is, you know, it's one of the situations where it could be a little thing that blows up. He said he was feeling better, as you hear there. So that's a positive. But we'll come back and talk about that on Friday if we get any more information. If you want any, anything real time, I will tweet about it for sure as we get more information at BT Roland, etc. Anyway, the Hawks had to play the rest of the game without Collins. So we'll leave that there for now. We'll come back to it later on. Um, but... It got a little bit dicey, as I referenced at the top, if you missed this game. Um, the Hawks were up by 12 with, like, two minutes to go. It should have been over at that point. Up 12 with two minutes to go. Like, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, put a pin in it. Gallinari hit a, few, hit a huge three, and then they got it up to 12. So, but it was not over. <laughs> the Sun scored on back-to-back trips, around a turnover by the Hawks. Then the Hawks got pretty lucky, I thought, on a potential eight-second call that was not called. They got a timeout right before the buzzer, uh, so to speak, on that. And then even with that bailout, they threw the ball away right away after the timeout. So back-to-back turnovers there. And then uh, immediately turned it over after that. So, yeah, they got gave up a layup to Phoenix. And suddenly it's up by, they're only up by six with like a minute to go. Then they turn it over again. So the Hawks, if you're scoring at home, had turnover, almost turnover, turnover, turnover. That's not what you want to do when you have the lead. Uh, they were bailed out, though, by Phoenix because they had the ball down six, the uh, Suns did. And they gave it right back on a pretty sloppy turnover in their own right when they probably had a three. It was like a three-on-two-ish kind of semi-transition situation for the Suns, but they did not score. If they had scored there, it would have got real, real interesting, but they didn't. And then the Hawks got the ball back because of the giveaway by Phoenix, and it was a hideous possession on offense for Atlanta. But it ended with Trey Young hitting a ridiculous shot with like 37 seconds to go, to pretty much seal it. So the Hawks were up by nine after that shot. It got back to seven at one point. It wasn't over, over, but it basically was. So uh, in the middle of that, you know, McMillan poked fun at it after the game. I think everybody kind of knew that they kind of kicked it away a little bit at the end. Um, But Trey hits the miracle shot, as he is wont to do, and it's helpful to have that guy who's uh, willing to take and make that shot in the final minute, and they avoid a uh, potential collapse. I'm not going to say they would have lost the game because, you know, they were still up the entire way, but it got a lot more interesting than it needed to be in the final minutes if if you're a Hawks fan. A couple issues broadly before we dive into the uh, takeaways from this game about the clutch situation was the ball security was just horrific late in the game. Um, This is kind of reminiscent of previous meltdowns the Hawks have had in the last couple of years where they just cannot keep the ball, honestly. Um, I'm not sure why Gallo was in there with the way that he was playing at that point in time. They could have gone to Okonwu or or Capella even on defense. A couple times in the late possession, you're you're out there when you have to get a stop and you have Gallinari on the floor. They brought in uh, Hunter when Collins left, 
but they could have gotten to long right or whatever. There could have been a little bit more um, ball, you know, ball security was not was not the the finest. I would have definitely gone to Delon versus Gallo in that spot just because of you know ball handling, etc. But didn't bite them uh, again. Thank God they were up by twelve. Is all I'll say before we uh, leave that there. But uh, you know they avoided disaster, and again overall the night was very positive. We'll get into that much more in a second. But before we do, all the takeaways and player observations on the podcast today, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, and honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, you want to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, before we dive into the individual player takeaways in this spot, some team-wide observations from this contest, and I don't want to let the fourth quarter and the close mar this because the offense was truly fantastic for the Hawks in this game. A 122 offensive rating is good against anyone, but the Suns are number two in the NBA in defensive rating. They only allowed about a 105 defensive rating uh, this season. That's excellent, and uh, the Hawks made them look pretty shaky at times. Now, um, you can't rely on the Hawks making 23s every game and shooting 49% from three in every game. That's obviously outlier good, and it does account for a good chunk of why the Hawks were really good in this game. And just for the record, they've only made 23s in a game twice all season, so that kind of tells you how rare it is. But this, you still have to make the shots that you create, and they had some good process, I thought, offensively throughout. Um, if they had only made 16, 17 threes, which is still outlier good, it would have been a lot more contested down the stretch. But on this night, they made a lot of threes. They shot okay on twos as well. 56% is pretty good. That's actually better than they normally would average. But it was the peripheral stuff that if you want to pick on the Hawks' offense, it was everything else other than shooting in this game. Um, 15 turnovers is more than they average. Offensive rebounds was definitely uh, pretty low in this game. Only six of those. 25 assists is okay, but not what you would think when you score 120 plus. Um, I would say still a flat-out impressive offensive performance, even, even if you account for three-point shooting kind of being unsustainable. But... Uh, they needed all of it, let's just say, uh, to get the win in the spot. But still, this is definitely an offense-first victory for sure, and it, it is a definitely a reminder that the Hawks are excellent offense. Not, not that you really need one if you're listening to this podcast or a watcher of the Hawks on a regular basis. You would know the Hawks are unquestionably elite on offense, but it was a good national reminder to maybe some more casual people or not people that are watching the Hawks all the time that the Hawks are uh, awesome on offense. Defensively. It wasn't fantastic, let's just say. A 114 defensive rating is not dire, but it's not good either. And they definitely benefited from Phoenix's poor shooting. So when you factor this in, it looks even worse. The Hawks were plus 33 points on threes in this game because they, they made 20 of them on 49% shooting from three. The Suns were 9 of 32, which is not good. Uh, in fact, the Suns were 3 of 20 on non-corner threes in this game. Uh, that's outlier bad. So the Hawks had an outlier good shooting night from three. Um, I wouldn't say that it's impossible that Phoenix shoots 29% from three, but that's definitely well below their average. So if you want to get 
you know, particular and kind of, you know, just do the, the lazy math of adding a couple threes to Phoenix and subtracting a couple threes from the Hawks. That's the margin. But a lot of the looks were contested by Phoenix. I'm not going to say the Hawks had these huge breakdowns. Now, in the first half, they allowed nine quarter three attempts and a bunch of those were open. They had some breakdowns along the way. But they, uh, I think, contested pretty well, um, forced the Suns into some bad shots along the way. Um, but the Suns shot 66% on twos. There were lots of easy layups and lots of easy dunks. Now, a lot of that came at the end of the game when the Hawks were scrambling and also playing without a center. Um, when they had Capella on the floor in particular, I thought they played good good, def- good defense on this game. Akamu was not quite his normal self, but he was still totally fine defensively. Um, but it was the other times that they kind of struggled. And Phoenix only had 11 turnovers. That's definitely better than average, etc. There was nothing on the offensive glass on either side in this game. But uh, I will say the Hawks were... It wasn't an F on defense. It was probably like a C minus, maybe D plus. But they got uh, they got the, the short. The, I would say the long end of the stick, not, not short end of the stick, on Phoenix uh, missing a bunch of shots and the Hawks making a bunch of shots throughout the game. Anyway, the offense was still awesome, so I want to leave that takeaway with you. Uh, player wise, I'll talk about the individual players in a second, but I wanted to at least pass along this one observation, if you want to call it that. The Hawks used a nightmare rotation in this game. Um, I thought that was going to be the case, as I referenced earlier. But I think if they started a playoff series today, which the Hawks are not, uh, the Hawks are, the Hawks are only the ten, only ten seed right now. But if they were in the playoffs right now today, and you asked me, what, what what would I use for a rotation in a series against a just a regular random playoff team? This would be it. I'm not saying it would be the exact minutes, etc., but these would be the nine guys that I would play. Now, not, this is not me picking on Lou Williams, who's actually been much better recently, but Lou, I think, is the 10th guy out of 10 that's been playing. And, um, you know, there's definitely times when you might need Lou or might want Lou to provide that offensive spark, a little bit more high variance. But in terms of the top nine guys, it was the nine guys that were available and played in this game. So it kind of jumped out to me a little bit. Um, I just want to say that out loud. Uh, Nate McMillan is someone who has been willing and able to do uh, sort of go deeper into the bench than most people would in the playoffs. Like I was pulling my hair out last year in the Knicks series, he was playing ten guys in a playoff series. You don't need, you don't usually do that. Usually you're you're playing eight, honestly. Sometimes nine. And if, if I'm the Hawks, it's that's my nine tonight. I want to at least say that out loud. Okay. From there, uh, individually, we'll end with the starters as we usually do. Um, the bench was productive as they've been recently, but not like off the charts. So DeLon Wright did not score in 16 minutes. Um, two rebounds and assists to steal, very much DeLon Wright game. I, I don't think he was very good on offense in terms of like, he's probably a little bit too passive, but he did his job for the most part. Um, Okongwu, as I mentioned before, not his best effort, had 1.4 rebounds, an assist and a steal in 15 minutes. Oh, one from the floor and one of two from the free throw line. Just kind of a quiet night. A bad matchup for him in some respects against against Phoenix. And um, it's just a, maybe, maybe a reminder that he's not, you know, this fully formed entity at this point in time. But Okongwu is still awesome, so I'm not worried about one game. Um, I, I've said it a couple of times that, you know, Capella, I think, is still ahead of him in the pecking order. as not a shot at Okongwu. I love Okongwu. I think he's really, really good. Um, but... He'll have some of these more. It's not going to be a problem moving forward, but it didn't kill him either. And I will say this. I told you this during the game, but even when he has a shaky night, he'll have a couple plays where it's like, man, that guy's a monster. Like, physically, he covers so much ground, and I don't want to get, I won't go all the way into it now, but even on a night where he was not his best, he had a couple plays where you're like, he's kind of eye-popping what he can do. Uh, elsewhere in support, Bogdanovich had a good game off the bench with 11 points in 36 minutes. Ended up having to play a ton because of the Hunter foul trouble. He played a ton in the, in the second half as well. Um, six assists for Bogey. He actually led the team in assists more than Trey by the end of the game. They didn't have, have four turnovers. A couple of those were late, which were a little bit shaky. He was actually a team best plus 14. Made three threes. 
wasn't like hunting a shot as much as usual. Normally when Bogey plays this much, he takes a lot more shots than this, but uh, he was more of a facilitator in some respects, and I thought he played fairly well. Gallinari, 12 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal, plus 10. Um, it was not the best Gallo game. I think defensively he was one of the issues, as he sometimes is, but um, he played more than I would have played him, I think, down the stretch. But you know, once Collins goes out, I totally understood it, um, but we'll leave that there for now. To the starters, DeAndre Hunter got of a lost game because of the fouls. Uh, he ended up with 20, 21 minutes, which was uh, below two guys off the bench. 13 points. Um, I thought he was kind of uneven defensively. A couple of uh, real flash plays on the ball. It's a reminder that he's very good on the ball. But um, off the ball, a little bit shakier. And then he got, he got some foul trouble as well, trying to deal with Devin Booker and his creativity. So it was, a, uh, I would say, a, a so-so game from Hunter. Um, obviously could stay on the floor, which was a problem throughout. Uh, I thought Capella was quite good when he played. Six points, 12 rebounds, four assists for Clint, and no turnovers. I've said this before, but his passing has been kind of a revelation. Not that he's like Bill Walton or anything in his prime, but Capella's had some nice passes, a couple of uh, nice moves in the high post in terms of facilitating, but rebounding has been uh, obviously a strength of his for a long time. And then defensively, the Hawks were better when he was on the floor in this game. Uh, had a block shot as well at 25 minutes and uh, didn't play a lot down the stretch, but again, I mentioned this before, but no Aiden. Basically, Phoenix played small the entire fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. Definitely the last eight, nine minutes, so it would have been tough to put Capella back in. I usually advocate for that, but there was not really a time to do that with the lineup that Phoenix was playing and the situation that the Hawks were in. From there, um, Kevin Herter, I thought, was very good. 19 points. Did it, hit, hit the five threes, including the four threes in the second quarter. But even beyond that, Nate McMillan kind of uh, went out of his way to praise Herter in this game. Talking about his two-way performance. He had a guard get Devin Booker a lot in the second half because of Hunter's foul trouble. Did a good job there. Um, I thought on-ball, off-ball, he had to guard Chris Paul at one point. He is uh, a valuable player in a, lot of, in a lot of different ways. I think you kind of saw the entire gamut there from Herter, from the shot-making to the facilitating to the defense. Three assists as well for Herter. Had a steal. I thought he was quite good in this game. Obviously, it's a Trey Young game, first and foremost, but I thought Herter was a very, very valuable second, third option uh, throughout this game. Collins, I thought, was uh, was pretty good until he got injured. Had some uh, down moments as well in the second half. Wasn't quite his best half of basketball, but ended up, ended up with 19 points, 10 rebounds in uh, 31 minutes. 8 of 13 from the floor, 3 of 5 from 3. Nice little bounce back there offensively for John. Not his best defensive game. I think he's been better than this um, for most of the season, honestly, but not his best in this game. And again, the injury looms. I uh, hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, all that stuff for Atlanta and the fan base. And I'm sure, you know, again, he was upbeat. The audio is what it is, but uh, we'll see. I'm, uh, you know, real, I would say cautiously optimistic about Collins and the injury, but we'll leave it there for now. But on the floor, I thought he played well. And then Trey Young was a monster in this game. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but if you just watched the first two minutes, you might have been, and and also knew that Trey had been injured and missed by his game, you might have been like, all right, this might be a long night for Trey. He did not look good for about two and a half, three minutes. And then from there, he was brilliant. Uh, 43 points, five assists, did have four turnovers, uh, but 16 and 25 from the floor, and that, that includes uh, 10 of 14 on twos, 6 of 11 on threes, 5 of 7 from the free throw line. It was a tour de force for him on offense. Uh, he loves the bright lights. That's something you got to love about him as uh, as a Hawks fan if you are listening to this podcast is that you have a guy who is willing and able to take the big shots and not be phased. He has already proven that 10 times over, but it happened again in this spot. Every time the Hawks kind of were, I would say, wavering in the second half, he made a big play, whether it was a, a big three or a big floater or an and one. And then, of course, the, the famous one at the end that he uh, kind of pulled out of obscurity to make a three to kind of put the game away in the final minute. So uh, we can go on and on about Trey Young, but he was fantastic. Uh, 
you know, he did, he did say after the game he's not 100% healthy. So, uh, and with a back-to-back on Friday, we'll see what he looks like. But uh, he clearly had it and found it <laughs> along the way. And without him, they don't win this game, quite obviously. So, we'll leave it there for now on the game front. Um, from here, the Hawks uh, actually are two games back of the nine seed, as I record this, on Thursday evening going into Friday. But only four games back now of the six seed. So, as I said on yesterday's podcast, a mailbag, by the way, which is still very relevant for the most part. So, let, please listen to that podcast if you missed it yesterday. But um, they were five back, and then Brooklyn lost last night, and then the Hawks won tonight. So, they're actually only four back of the six seed. And Brooklyn's in a free fall without Kevin Durant. They've lost six games in a row. It's something to keep an eye on there. If you are rooting for teams, and I said this yesterday on the show, but you, if you're a Hawks fan, you got to root against Brooklyn. you got to root, root against Cleveland, et cetera, as they try to avoid the play-in. Um, but yeah, nice, a nice victory for a lot of reasons, but certainly in the standings, it helps you. Um, but after tonight, the Hawks will have just played, uh, as, as, as they have, nine of the last ten at home. So that was a favorable stretch. They had some tough opponents in there. Of course, Milwaukee, Phoenix, etc., uh, but a lot of home games, not a lot of travel, a, a nice opportunity to kind of get rested and get healthy a little bit, other than the Collins injury and the Trey injury, of course. But from here, the schedule is more balanced. They have 14 home games left and 17 road games left, so more road than home. And uh, it's kind of a back and forth. There, there's, there are no road trips now or home stands now of more than three games. It's a lot of you know two on, two off, etc. That begins with a road trip on Friday. In fact, a quick turnaround and a really difficult one, honestly. Now, on one hand, Toronto is not as far as people think that it is. It's actually basically going to Detroit. It's not, it's not very far. Or going to Buffalo, etc. cetera. Uh, but it is also customs, and it's a back-to-back, and you're going to be getting in very late to Toronto. And then the Hawks, I was told today, are going to be flying from there, actually not until Saturday. They're going to stay there until Saturday afternoon because it's, it's like a four-hour flight from Toronto to Dallas where the Hawks play on Sunday. So they're going to stay in Toronto on Friday night into Saturday, and then they'll fly to Dallas on Saturday afternoon. But for now... Focuses on that game against the Raptors. The Raptors also have a back-to-back, but with no travel, they played at home. They actually beat the Bulls tonight, uh, but it was an overtime game, so that always tested the Raptors a little bit more. Still an advantage for Toronto on paper. Of course, the Hawks will be looking for revenge for Monday night's loss to the Raptors, but I cannot stress to you enough, a very difficult turnaround when you're dealing with going a back-to-back and having to deal with Toronto on that. So uh, nothing's a given by any means. And Of course, you throw in the injury uncertainty with John Collins. Uh, Trey obviously coming off the uh, shoulder as well. So we'll get into more clarity on that on Friday. And for real-time stuff, please follow this podcast at Lots on Hawks on Twitter. You can follow me for all of my uh, updates and what I can pass along to you at BT Roland. Please subscribe to this show. It's been fun to record it, especially as the Hawks have been uh, playing much better basketball recently. But we are always here five, maybe, t- maybe even sometimes six times a week as the deadline approaches next week as well. There's uh, between basketball and transactions and salary caps and everything else. We will have you covered on this podcast and uh, obviously the Hawks are rolling right now so it's been uh, it's been fun to consume that and fun to analyze that and break it all down hopefully you're enjoying the podcast as well as the Hawks in this winning spree that they're on right now all right without further delay we'll get out of here and we'll see you after the game on Friday